Welcome to the Nashville Story. I'm Stuart Deming. And I'm Aaron Pennington. And joining us today is Monique Odom. This is an episode that was previously recorded in 2020, but because it's springtime, we wanted to dive deeper into Nashville parks. Nashville parks are an important part of springtime here in the city, especially as trees are beginning to bloom and it's time to get out of hibernation and get outside. And what a better way to go outside than to experience the Nashville parks system. And that's exactly what we are talking about on today's episode of the Nashville story. There's a lot of parks in Nashville. Uh, You may actually be surprised about how many parks are in this city. It's a lot. So if you're wondering what are the parks that are maybe some favorites of the park system, some favorites of Monique's, the director of National Parks, and maybe some that are a little more hidden and maybe aren't the most crowded ones. We're going to cover all of this and more in our interview with Monique Odom of the Metro National Parks System. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Nashville Story, part of the Nashville Daily Podcast, where we get to go in-depth with some of Nashville's best. Today, our guest is Monique Odom, the Parks and Rec Director here in Nashville. And we have a great episode ahead. Some of the things that we will be talking about are some of the best-kept secret parks in Nashville, as well as some of the greenways and what holds for Nashville's future in the parks world. We talk about all of this and more on The Nashville Story. All right, Monique Odom, thank you for calling us today and happy to have you on the program. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Monique, uh, you went to Fisk University, and you're also a Nashville native. Let's talk about that for a second. Fisk University first, and then being a Nashville native. You know, Fisk is um, a wonderful, wonderful um, organization. It's a historically black um, college and university. It's among those, uh, that category of universities. And uh, I am honored to be considered a Fiskite. even though Fisk University was not my first choice of uh, college, I was actually headed to um, another university, HBCU, in fact, um, Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia, uh, and at the last minute decided to uh, stay at home and apply to Fisk, and I'm very grateful that I was accepted. It's a smaller university, as you probably know, but it's right in the heart of North Nashville, um, close to the area where um, I grew up. And so it was like, well, it was being at home um, and getting having the benefit of a world-class education. And so um, I'm, again, very honored to be a Fiskite and would encourage anybody who is uh, looking to uh, send their children to college to make uh, Fisk one of your options to look at it and see if it's a good fit. 
Now let's talk about being a Nashville native. So you grew up in North Nashville or like Germantown area? I grew up in Bordeaux, which okay. is Northwest Nashville, but spent a lot of my time in um, North Nashville. So um, I went to, um, I, I was educated through the public school system here in Nashville. And I you know, went to Bordeaux Elementary and then what was Cumberland Elementary. It's now I.T. Cresswell um, Magnet School, I think. Um, and then went to, uh, in high school, I went to White's Creek High School, which is in, um, out near Jolton. So that's the area of town that I, uh, where I grew up and I, I happen to live in that area now. Um, and then, like I said, I, uh, like you mentioned before, I attended Fisk University, uh, for undergraduate school and then, um, attended Tennessee State University for my graduate, graduate, um, study. So I went to the Institute of Government there, and um, that was an exciting experience, too. TSU is a, uh, a great institution as well. Um, and I'll just say I love Nashville. There's no other place that I would like to live. Um, it, has, it has changed quite a bit from um, years ago when I was a child, but uh, it's changed and moving in a positive direction, I think, Um I am hopeful that in Nashville we'll keep our hometown feel as we grow to be a, a medium-sized metropolis. Uh, but that's one of the things that I love about Nashville is the um, the kind of um, slow pace. It's picking up some, but uh, the slow pace and, and the friendly friendliness of the residents. So that's one of the reasons why I love Nashville. Yeah, I think it's that growing coffee scene that's picking it up a little bit. Everybody's <laughs> just a little bit, everybody's just a little bit jittery. But but you're right. Like yeah. Nashville still has that hometown feel. It's it's one yeah. of the probably it's it's ranked one of the friendliest cities ever, and yeah. hopefully it stays that way. I think it will. I think it's positioned geographically, like you know, as as the perfect kind of place for for people yeah. to to come in. So you know, we, we love that. We love Nashville and. Uh, we are in that same boat. We, we think Nashville will stay its same way even as it grows, and, and uh, we, we hope to see that. But now let's talk about what everybody in Nashville likes to talk about, and that's the food scene here. Um, yeah. What are some of your favorite restaurants in this city? Okay, so I will just say that I am not a very adventurous eater. Uh, I have a friend who is an adventurous eater. And most of the time when I'm trying something new, it is because she has dragged me along on one of her exploits. It's always good to have a friend like that. It's wonderful to have a friend like that, especially when you're really timid about at least trying new food. So, but for me, I am, um, I truly love home, uh, home cooked Southern food. But I will tell you my, my, favorite place to eat and it helps that it is um close to the office it's not open right now because of um uh the safer at home um order but wendell smith's restaurant on um charlotte avenue yep that's uh, a great one it's a place that i frequent and i I have to try to stay away because you know eating too much of that kind of food can can be bad for your waistline. I but, know. It's um, like all of those places <laughs> offer dessert every meal. Yeah, their banana pudding <laughs> is fantastic. It's wonderful. And so I, I love Wendell Smith and um, I go when they're open. I go quite frequently and, I, you know, I've turned my son onto it and he, he enjoys it as well. But uh, that's, I'd say that's my favorite restaurant. 
Now, what about Sweats? Because Sweats is, is not too yep. far away. Right. Sweats. Sweats is a wonderful place as well. Same, same kind of food. Um, uh, meat and three and uh, kind of home cooking. And I think, I think one of the reasons I enjoy that type of food in particular is because that's the kind of food I grew up on and it serves as, um, you know, so, uh, somewhat of, um, it's so comforting for me, particularly when I've had a, a challenging day. Right. Um, that, that's a fallback and it's always so comforting and makes you feel great. It's always great. They have great prices, friendly people in the, in the restaurant. You, you know, never meet a stranger in there. So it's just great all the way around. But yeah, Swiss is wonderful too. They have been, um, I mean, they're probably an, an institution here in Nashville. They've, they've been around for a long, long time. So that, uh, that's amazing. So let's talk about hidden gems in Nashville. So places uh, hmm. that, that you might think, you know, only maybe Nashvillians know about or mm-hmm. might be an, uh, an undervalued place that you uh, think is, is a great part of, of Nashville. What do you think is a hidden gem here in the city? Oh, gosh. One of, one of the hidden gems, um, I think, is a part of our park system, and it is um, – it's the White Creek Greenway. Um, as I told you, I, I live and grew up in Bordeaux, uh, northwestern Davidson County. And there's a greenway, a part of the greenway system out there that um, I think probably only people who know about the greenway system or only live in that area um, know about. And it's just, it's wonderful. Um, I think it, it connects across Clarksville Highway. There's a trailhead at Hartman um Hartman Park on Tucker Road. It, it connects across, across or underneath Clarksville Highway to um, Mullins Park, and there's a loop there, and you can just um, walk it back to the um, Hartman Community Center uh, trailhead. It's about a little over five miles that from the trailhead and back, and um, I love it. I mean, I, I don't see, I mean, like I said, most people who live in the area, well, not most, some people who live in the area uh, are familiar with it, but it is definitely a hidden gem. It's kind of a combination of, um, I mean, you feel like you're way, way out in the forest, uh, but you're, you know, inside the city, uh, close in, and it is uh, a place for uh, respite and renewal, and it's just wonderful. I'd say, I have to say White Creek Greenway. That's really cool. Is, is that connected to the Carl Black Amphitheater? Uh, no, not yet, but it will be. Okay, awesome. And then uh, before we really dive deep into the parks, uh, when mm-hmm. did you get started into the Parks and Recreation Department for the city of Nashville? Well, I came into the department um, in 2006. I came from another metro department um, and as, a, um, as a finance officer in 2006 and uh, kind of advanced uh, up through the department over several years. And in 2017, when our director, our then director, announced that he uh, was retiring, uh, and he asked me if I would consider uh, him uh, recommending me as the interim director to the parks board, um, I told him I would. And, uh, you know, we just, Led from there, I became interim director in 2017, um, and then through the um, the regular search process, became uh, was appointed park director 
uh, later that year in October of 2017. So I've been director for uh, a little over two years, and it has just been a wonderful experience, not only um, sitting uh, at the helm of the department, but um, working in this department with so many men and women who are dedicated to what they do. It's just been a great experience. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the position. And like we like we said before we started the the interview, we love we love Park. So this is all so Thank fun you. to talk about. Um, do you have a go to park before we get deep into the park <laughs> system? Do you have a go to park in Nashville? Well, of course, I cannot say that I have a go to oh. park. All of them are like they're like my children. So whichever one I'm in at the time is my favorite. <laughs> However. I will say, I'll go back to what I said about um, um, Hartman Park and the trailhead there for the White Creek Greenway. That, that is uh, probably where I am um, most frequently. Uh, I find getting on that Greenway, um, I'm usually in with my son, uh, and that's, it's just some good quality time. You're out in nature. Um, it's a good time to think and, uh, you know, get in touch with um, yourself. Parks are just uh, parks and uh, green spaces in general and just being in nature are very um, good for uh, um, spiritual rejuvenation, mental and physical well-being. So I'd have to say um, Hotman Park and the White Creek Family. So you bring up the term green spaces, uh, and this was mm-hmm. something that Stuart and I were uh, a little bit interested in because I think a lot of times for the general population, we hear the word parks, we hear the word mm-hmm. greenways, but then there's also this word green spaces. So what does the word right. green spaces mean? Is it something okay. different or does it connect everything together? Well, it kind of connects. And so before we before I move to green spaces, I offer up another term too that's often mentioned with, with green spaces is open spaces. So open space really is, any open piece of land that's undeveloped, that, that means it has no buildings or structures on it, and it's accessible to the public. And so within that kind of realm of open space, uh, that can include green space. And so green space, it's that land that's partly complete or completely covered with grass, trees, or shrubs, or other vegetation. And so green space includes parks, community gardens, and can connect and can include cemeteries. So that's where that fits in. And so within, let me roll back to open spaces. Green spaces is a subset of open spaces. And open spaces also include schoolyards, playgrounds, public seating areas, vacant lots, or public plazas. So yeah, so um, green spaces, um, parks are included as a subset in there, but it, like I said, it could co- include community gardens or cemeteries. Well, I just learned quite a bit from that green space <laughs> question. Um, what are some undervalued parks that Nashvillians should be utilizing more? You know, we have um, 178 parks in our system. And uh, I would say that really the, the parks that people what well, I'll say that are not popular among a, a large group of people um, are the neighborhood parks. Yep. Um, so we often hear about Centennial, Percy Warner, Shelby, um, even some of our um, larger areas that are 
mostly nature areas, Beeman, Bell's Bend, places like that you hear um, a, a lot about. Um, but then the smaller neighborhood part, um, people don't, unless you live in a particular neighborhood, people don't know about it. So what I encourage folks to do is to get on our website, nashville.gov slash park, and go down the list of, um, of uh, parks and visit a new park. That, that would be something, that would be a great project to do over the, the summer. Um, just visit, you know, decide to visit a new park, learn about the features in the park. Of course, at this point, all of the features in parks are not open. Um, are safer in order, um, safer in order, safer in place, safer at home order, sorry. Um, it's still in place. Um, and even then, um, our reopening plan doesn't call for uh, reopening certain amenities until later on, so later phase in those plans. But even though um, certain amenities are, may not be open in parks, um, it's a good opportunity to get out and just explore and see what parks are out there. That's amazing. And a great segue into, I think, the next thing we want to talk about was uh, how COVID-19 has affected the, the park system. And I know you talked about the decision to close. Uh, a lot of the amenities was made during this COVID-19 decision. Um, but what, one of the interesting things is that we saw uh, a lot of state parks closed, but city parks mm-hmm. were still open. And so, right. you know, um, it's it's just very interesting mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. observe. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. particularly of the belief that the more open air that people can yeah. get, the better. So, yeah. you know, what were the difficulties in making some of these decisions? And, mm-hmm. you know, what was the the thing with city parks maybe staying open, but mm-hmm. state parks staying closed? Right. Um, so we realized uh, and acknowledged that parks uh, and green spaces and greenways and trails uh, are really essential to the physical and mental health um, of our community. I think we see that now more than ever. And so in terms of, I'll just go to the, the opening and or closing of state or, or um, local parks, those decisions, um, when Governor Lee um, closed state parks, um, you know, I was coordinating very closely on, on any of the closures uh, very closely with the COVID-19 task with the health department and the mayor's office. So, uh, you know, filtering decisions through that group and getting, um, of course, guidance from those groups and also guidance from the National Recreation and Parks Association, uh, which is a wonderful organization that connects park systems um, uh, across the country. But anyway, um, when Governor Lee closed state parks, a part uh, and and instituted the um, safer at home or stay at home. I can't remember the name of what his. Order uh, I, I mix was, them up um, all the time. Yeah, me too. Shelter in place, stay at home. Okay, so anyway, so when he inst- instituted his order, uh, a part of um, his decision making, the basis for his de- decision, he said, was that they were watching travel or traffic patterns, um, and so. What we know is that most people do not live near state parks. Um, they are generally a destination. Probably 90, 95% of folks in the state have to travel to a state park right. um, to get there. 
And so that is not always the case for uh, for local parks. Um, and understanding, you know, parks and green spaces are important for people to, to give them an, um, a recreational option during the time that they are told to stay at home um, and understanding that they don't necessarily have to get in their cars and travel um, to a state, to a, a local park. That made the decision, um, that made us decide to keep those open, to keep those open. And then, too, um, the feasibility of closing parks, how you technically close a park. At a state park, there are gates um, at the entrances, so uh, closing them is not that challenging. It would certainly be a challenge here for um, for Metro. Um, and uh, I think uh, probably the best decision was to uh, keep them open and um, make them available for folks. And what, what we've seen is as um, this safer at home order, the time has progressed, people have uh, begun to exercise social distancing more, acknowledging uh, CDC protocols more, and the behaviors have changed more in line with what um, they should be in terms of uh, you know, trying to keep all of us safe. The decision to uh, close some of the outdoor features in parks was primarily driven by um, behaviors. Uh, as you know, when um, I guess when the Safer at Home order, I think, was first initiated or implemented, um, those features were not closed. But our staff were uh, monitoring those spaces, basketball courts, tennis courts, dog parks, right. um, picnic shelters, um, and then just parks in general. Um, and, and seeing that folks were not, not exercising um, or, or adhering to the social distancing protocols, uh, there was crowding. Uh, we were getting quite a, quite a few phone calls and complaints, not only here, but in the mayor's office. Um, I spoke to some of my counterparts across the country and regionally, and they were experiencing the same thing. And so um, decisions to remove basketball rims or uh, make them unusable and take down tennis court nets, um, that was a lot of time and effort from our staff that I would like to have not had to exert. Um, There are lots of other things that the staff could be doing, more productive things. But once we saw... Um, that folks in those cases were not were not um, obeying or adhering to um, those protocols. We had to do what we thought was the next reasonable step, and so uh, we did. And, and with the understanding that I think people, more people, are understanding today that um, you know all of our choices impact everybody else. So it so we need to make smart choices. Um, so, I mean, when we first closed dog parks, I know one particular dog park, um, you know, we locked them, areas that we could lock and secure. We did that. Right. There were um, locks cut off. We had uh, our COVID-19 signage removed or vandalized. Oh, wow. Climbing, climbing fences. And, you know, it was just um, disappointing for the for the city that I know Nashville to be. So, again, we just move forward with reasonable steps, and I'm happy to say that um, as time has progressed, we've seen uh, more people compliant with, you know, 
um, acknowledging those closures, uh, playgrounds and things like that. So hopefully they will be back online in the next few weeks um, and uh, we can move forward. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad you explained all of that because I don't think we've heard it said so clearly. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I love hearing that because I think your, your point of uh, travel for state parks mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is very true because you never know. You know, if people are going to a state park, they're making a day trip. They might have to go to the grocery right. store to get snacks and right. and all of this stuff, go to the gas station on the way. So, so there are right. a lot of factors I don't think uh, were, you know, we hadn't heard talked about a lot. So that's... It's really cool to to uh, to hear for sure, Monique. Uh, Monique, do you think the demand for green spaces will increase due to the recent climate? You know, one good thing about parks and green spaces, particularly here in Nashville, is that we have we live in a community that has always loved parks and green spaces. That's fantastic. Now, with the current climate, uh, COVID nineteen, I think there is. Um, certainly a heightened appreciation for those who already embraced uh, parks and green spaces as uh, as essential spaces. But certainly people who did not before now certainly see how important it is to have uh, parks and green spaces uh, in your community. Um, they see that it's important now. So I think the demand, uh, we already had a pretty high demand, and, and I'm happy to say that people uh, love to be in the parks and love to be in the park system. That's great. I think, yeah, the demand will continue to grow, and I'm 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 grateful for that. Yeah, we're grateful for it as well. I mean, <laughs> you know, we definitely feel that that appreciation for parks and everything is is going way up because you know yeah. you don't. It's like one of those things you don't realize what's available until you know everything else is shut down. Everything's taken away. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. That's right. Do you think that, and, and this is an interesting question that we've been talking about just on the podcast back and forth, is, uh-huh. you know, not only expansion or addition of parks in other uh-huh. places of the city, but uh-huh. I, I think with Nashville having a rapidly growing downtown, uh, yeah. I think there's a lot to to explore with that area. Uh-huh. How do you uh-huh. see, maybe, maybe we'll get philosophy before we get specific, how do you see the uh-huh. role of you know, open spaces, green spaces within a rapidly growing downtown area? I think they're vital. I mean, they're vital to to all areas, but particularly areas where the density is being increased. And so for us um, here, what what has basically happened in, in Nashville is that there um, has been quite a bit of um, development downtown and then green space has been an afterthought. Right. And so uh, we want to try to reverse it because right now there's no uh, there's no land available and certainly no land that we can afford. It's right. very expensive. And so what we um, now try to do is um, work with developers um, through the planning commission, work with developer developers to make sure that they're thinking about green space from the offset rather than on the back end and trying to retrofit something or, you know, make something fit, but that it is um, an integral integral part of, of these developments that are going in downtown. And like I said, particularly in light of the density. Right. Do you, mm-hmm. and, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of thinking out loud because, 
it just makes you wonder, you know, what does it take in order to make sure that it's not an afterthought? Is it something right. that is going to have to be either legislation or something like that to make sure that parks are are built into the fabric of a downtown? I, th- I think legislation would certainly help. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned before, the planning com- commission has been very supportive um, awesome. of, of parks and trying to make sure that where we would ordinarily not know about some sort of a development that we're plugged in um, and that we know and if there is um, that, that we can be at the table to talk with developers about, uh, you know, including uh, green space, whether that's a, a park or, or a greenway trail or, or whatever. Uh, but to uh, help them understand how important it is. And then really um, downtown, uh, you know, with increasing the density, it's really become a neighborhood of its own. And so the need for those green spaces is, uh, I mean, completely heightened. Uh, We do have some spaces downtown, but like I said, people people and businesses, uh, continue to move downtown and the growth is um, exploding. So uh, we want to make sure that everybody knows that that's important. We're very grateful for the planning commission for helping us uh, be plugged in. Do you think it's too far-fetched to say that maybe Nashville will have something like Amazon does in Seattle for their employees where it's basically just this this giant dome filled with plants, kind of like uh, Opry Mills and their, their mm-hmm. hotel, or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe skyscrapers that have built-in greenery or something like that that we're seeing in other parts of the world. Is that too far-fetched for Nashville, or do you think it's maybe something for the future? I think it could be for the future, absolutely. I think um, the more people, again, begin to appreciate green spaces and know and, and really feel um, the need for them, they're going to be incorporated or implemented however they can be. So I certainly see that as a possibility for the future, particularly with areas where um, there is not space, uh, outdoor space at least, to, to put some sort of a, um, some sort, develop some sort of a, a green space, a park or something like that, and where it, where it has to be indoor. I could certainly see that. Uh, with two developments downtown coming to mind, there's the Nashville Yards. They're building a park. And then Broad mm-hmm. West on West End, they're doing a three-acre green space. Mm-hmm. Have you guys been working closely with those developers? Our staff has been involved in, in uh, providing input, yes. And again, through the Planning Commission, who, who has helped to plug us in, yeah. So at the end of the day, is the city managing those parks, or are they going to be managed by private entities? They'll be private entities. Okay. And then mm-hmm. uh, for Nashville... How does the the city of Nashville determine how much green space is appropriate for every neighborhood? So um, I think you talked about, or we talked about before, maybe before we got on, the 2017 Parks and Greenways Master Plan. So every few years or so, maybe every 10 years, um, the department embarks upon um, uh, a master planning process for, for the system. And it's kind of like a blueprint of what, how the system um, should take form or continue to be shaped uh, given certain factors, population growth, demand for activity, um, density, 
and level of service. So for us at this moment, um, our 2017 Parkland Greenways Master Plan is informing some of our um, some of our work and development of um, of new parks in um, let's see out in Southeast Davidson County. I don't know if that's the Antioch area, uh, but there is a new park out there that should start. It should start phase one of construction probably this summer. Awesome. Uh, it's called Mill Ridge, and it is um, 600 acres. And it is, uh, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of land. And so what our master plan in uh, 2017, the research that was involved with that uh, development of that plan told us that there was a green space deficit in that area of the county. And so uh, while uh, our staff had been working for some time to acquire um that property out there and we, we acquired it bits and pieces, but it was primarily to satisfy that green green space deficit um, in the Antioch area of Southeast Davidson County. And it'll be a regional uh, park. Again, it is a multi-phase uh, construction project. So um, phase one will start uh, this summer. So, that's, yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's some of the things. And, and it, as you may or may not know, that area of the county is uh, very uh, racially and ethnically diverse. Yes. So um, in developing and determining um, what should happen at that park and in that space, we got, had a lot of community engagement uh, and public input. And that's one of the things that, that we do here at parks. I mean, if we're developing a new facility, a park space, a greenway, uh, community engagement, public input is absolutely key. That's amazing. Um, continuing with the, the master plan from 2017, we know that there's, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot, I'm sure that thing is a, a binder full of, full of things, <laughs> but okay. what are some of the major things that are, are going into that? We know Fort Negley has a lot on its horizon. We know that mm-hmm. Centennial Park is being worked on right now mm-hmm. and the National Greenway you know, kind of has, has, you know, major plans of its own. So what are some of those other things that are, that are on the master plan? Well, really the master plan um, kind of uh, gives recommendations for, again, I go back to population growth and taking, taking factors into consideration, population growth, density, and all of that. It gives recommendations uh, about uh, the the addition of uh, park space and acreage, um, what types, of uh, facilities we should build, should we um, move forward with building new facilities or convert um, older existing facilities into um, uh, newer uh, types of facilities. Um, so you mentioned Centennial Park. Centennial Park uh, actually was not a part of the master plan, but is uh, in phase two of its, um, of its development, of its master plan development. Um, Fort Negley actually was not a part of the master plan, but as you did mention, um, the future is very bright for Fort Negley to, um, for us to initiate a master planning process and then move forward with um, some sort of um, park development there. And I should mention that uh, we want to be uh, very mindful of the history uh, at Fort Negley and to honor uh, the history of those um workers uh, who were there at uh, Fort Nagley, who helped build Fort Nagley, 
and honor them in the appropriate way. And then our uh, we have a, uh, a Greenway Commission that is always looking for um, expansion of the Greenway system and connecting um, connecting uh, a Greenway neighborhood together. And so those are those are ongoing. Um, there is a portion of the master plan that um, did look at the Greenway system, but there's some broader work that's been done uh, through our Greenways Open Space and Greenways Division here in parks. You can find that information on our website. Um, but then uh, Fort Nagel, we look to hopefully work on that at some point um, in the future and continue to work in Centennial Park. Um, continues. It is a public-private uh, project. We're gr- very grateful to the Conservancy for Centennial Park and the Parthenon for um, supporting us in uh, moving forward with the Centennial Park Master Plan and HCA. Uh, they are all uh partners in getting that developed. Oh, that's awesome. Um, a few years ago, there was talk that there was going to be a greenway space all the way along 440. Is that still in the plan? It's still in the plan, the 440 greenway. Um, we opened phase one um, a couple of years ago. Um, so the first leg is open, but what you um, may or may not know is that development of a, of a greenway system, it, it can take years because there's it's opportunistic so you have to um find where uh, landowners are willing to either donate or um allow us to acquire land or easement through the land we have to have funding in place um and then there has to be the political will and there needs to be a plan and so all of that has to line up um so that uh we can um complete stretches of greenway. And so, as you may have noticed, it is um, incremental. And so we celebrate hard when we get um, a tract of greenway uh, completed and paved and are able to open it to the public. But it takes quite a bit of time. But, uh, yeah, uh, 440 Greenway, that first phase is open. I'm sitting here in my office right now, and I uh, look at the, the trailhead right here at Park Plaza, uh, every day, his, the people jogging and run, running on it every day. And so that's exciting to see. That's awesome. You guys should absolutely celebrate those victories because yeah. the, it does seem like a, uh, a, a lot of work and a lot of things have to come together at the right time in order to yeah. make those things happen. So that's that's awesome that you guys are getting as much done as, as we see right now because it's it's a lot and you know we can't wait for all of that stuff to be completed um so let's talk about how nashville might either compare or or draw or give to other cities as far as ideas how do you feel that nashville um might compare to other cities and do we draw influence or give influence to other cities as well so i uh, i believe that in Nashville, we have one of the best park systems um, in the country. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I truly, truly believe that. And I'm very grateful to uh, my counterparts across the country and this region uh, that lots of times we draw inspiration from each other. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. And, you know, some things that may work here in Nashville may not work in another area, state, or region. And then again, they may. So from... Um, you know, from from outdoor development of um, parks and greenways and green spaces and things like that to programs, programming and services and activities, 
we definitely got inspiration um, got inspiration from other systems and they from us as well. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the National Recreation and Park Association um, is a wonderful organization that connects uh, park systems across the country. They uh, advocate um, for us. They uh, help us to, again, stay connected and um, draw ideas from one another. They are a great uh, a support um, for us and keep us on the forefront of um, emerging ideas. So um, I'm excited that we're a part of that network in particular. Uh, and, and it's been um, particularly helpful for me um, kind of riding through this COVID, COVID-19 culture that we have now um, to see what other cities are doing in terms of um, park systems and what they're offering and how they're reopening or closing or, or just what policies they're enacting. It's been helpful for me to, uh, you know, convene with um, colleagues and counterparts and see what has worked for maybe their city uh, that could work here in Nashville or something that they may have implemented that we absolutely do not want to implement um, that hadn't worked well. So that, that's been, it's been great to be a part of the, the parks and recreation threat uh, really nationally. It's been wonderful. That's awesome. That, that's really, really cool to hear. Uh, I'm curious about if you, you know, when you go to daydream about the future of national parks, what are some of the things that are on your mind? So, um, one p- particular thing I'll say as a native Nashvilleian, um, one of the things that has uh, been on my mind since before I became director and now that I am and it stays on my mind um, is, is the concept of um, equity and access. I want to make sure that um, everyone that comes to a park in this system feels welcome, regardless of where it is in the city or, you know, who you are, that you're absolutely welcome. Because what I know, um, living, being reared here in Nashville, growing up in Nashville, um, and probably like every other city um, across the country, there may be areas of a city where, Uh, There may have been some mythology, or maybe it's truth, I don't know, but uh, areas of the city that you didn't go because maybe you thought only wealthy people went there, or areas of the city that you didn't go because you thought there were uh, maybe some criminal activity or something going on there. And this mythology uh, takes shape, and people start to uh, guide their behaviors by that type of mythology. And that can be um, that can be a legacy, and I don't want that to be a legacy in Nashville. I want everybody who wants to go whatever to whatever park they want to to feel comfortable in that park, not just because the park is open, but that you really feel welcome in that park, whether it's a neighborhood uh, pocket park or one of our regional parks or one of our uh, larger larger parks that. Uh, incorporate the nature center that is what i'm most most concerned about is equity and access that is yeah that's a great concern uh can we talk quickly about uh, public private partnerships so Mm -hmm. 
you mentioned HCA helping with Centennial Park. And then over, mm-hmm. I think, um, near Percy Warner or Percy Priest Lake, you have the Nashville Paddle Company. So what does that look like for a private partner partnership with Nashville in the future? Um, so really what we try to do is uh, for uh, areas, a project where it makes sense for to have a partner, uh, probably a private partner, come to the table where it can be mutually beneficial for um, both organizations and then that it's beneficial for the community. So, uh, you know, if it whether it has to do with funding or has to do with programming that we cannot do because of our limited um, staffing resources, whatever that looks like, you can tailor it to be what it needs to be. And, and again, the benefit is uh, uh, for the public but it should certainly be beneficial for um, Metro government through Metro Parks um, and uh, the private entity that's going to participate. That's that usually when someone, when we um, engage in public-private partnerships, our private partner um, in most cases, and I dare say all cases, is as service-minded as we are. So, and that's, really great to work with partners who are really thoughtful about offering um, service or programs or, or whatever um, to the community because that's what it's about. It's about having spaces available for the community to use the way that they want to use them. This is all of our park system. It belongs to all of us. And so um, that, that's basically what it comes down to for our public-private partnership. Hundred percent. I, I, but I can't help of, but not think, not to think about Sweetums whenever I think about public-private <laughs> partnerships. For, yeah. But you know, I have a, I have a very selfish question, and that is about the TV show Parks and Rec. I love that TV show. <laughs> I, I'm sure everybody in the park system has I've actually been wanting to ask this too. So, <laughs> it's so funny. Um, how much is Parks and Rec similar to the actual? real life parks and rec job you know what this is so funny because people ask me about parks and rec the tv show all the time and i have never watched the show oh my goodness (laughs) i know i have never watched the show i love amy poehler but um i've never watched the show so i I don't know i would say i would Yes, I mean, it is like a sitcom around here sometimes i mean it's just (laughs) unbelievable i mean you would not believe some of the things that um, that we experience um, both out in the park and then behind the scenes things that that go on the things that we uh, do to get 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 the job completed. Um, so I don't know. I have to catch an episode of uh, Parks and Rec. You should. It's because it sounds very similar <laughs> from what okay. you just said. Well, probably. Oh, that's awesome. I have a one quick question about Centennial Park. So built mm-hmm. in 1896, it was originally um, for the Centennial Exposition for the state of Tennessee. Uh, when did it become a Metro Nashville Park? 1901. Wow. Okay. So the state yeah. handed over that land to Nashville. How did that work? Yeah, that's a, I'm assuming so. I, I don't have a history on that, but in 1901, it became a park. Okay, and then I my assumption is Centennial Park is the most visited park in the city of Nashville. Is that correct? Uh, I, you know, years ago I would have said yes, but I'll say that Percy Warner Park, the Warner Park, will give it a run for its money in oh, that's terms ama- of visitation. That's amazing. 
it would give it a, but but then to um well I guess technically I guess I I say yes Centennial Park is the most visited only because the Parthenon is there and you know that is an international attraction right so so I'd say okay yeah Centennial Park but then too again the Warner Parks are um, very heavily visited and used yeah absolutely and and it's it's cool to see that that a lot of parks in Nashville are giving giving all the other parks a run for their money that's that's always <laughs> a good thing um, but Mo- Monique we are are so glad that you called in today we uh, love talking with you and I'm sure we'll be talking with you more as the parks continue to develop and we learn more about the parks and everything like that so thank you so much for calling in uh, we really thank appreciate it and we learned a lot today thank you so much for uh, for your interest in parks and allowing me to come on and share with you I appreciate it so where can people go and learn more about the national parks and your all social media Oh, well, uh, we do have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. Uh, I will say that I am not a Facebook user or a social media user, but we have uh, our community affairs staff here does manage that, and those uh, accounts are uh, kept up to date. So you can certainly find information on Facebook and Twitter. And then you can also go to our um, Metro uh, Parks website. That's national.gov forward slash parks and rec. Um, and there's always up-to-date information um, on there. Awesome. Monique, thank you again. We hope you have a, a great afternoon, and thank you so much for calling in to National Daily. Thank you for having me. Have a good afternoon. And that was Monique Odom, the Parks and Recreation Director for Nashville. What a great episode, and you can hear more every weekday and Saturday at Nashville Daily Podcast. Com. You can find us anywhere that podcasts are found. Find us on Instagram at xplr.nash and YouTube at xplr.nash as well. We hope you have a great weekend and we will see you Monday.